It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to your weekly Biker News Wrap-Up. And welcome to the Biker Angle. Harley-Davidson is synonymous with motorcycles. So much so that some Americans grew up referring to all motorcycles simply as Harleys. Like some refer to all soda as Coke. But if you go back to the first entry in the company's history, as documented on its website, it reads, William S. Harley, age 21, completes a blueprint drawing of an engine designed to fit into a bicycle. And now, it looks like Harley is going back to its roots. Its real roots. Well, it's an electric one. An electronic uh, report last week. Harley unveiled a three-line electric motors, or bicycles at its 2020 meeting. That's right, bicycles. We've been expecting more EV offerings after the electric live-wire motorcycle, which we tested and will be arriving at dealers in September. But this is a huge transition for a company that's built its legacy of gas guzzling exhaust spew and open road hogs. The question becomes, will this avenue keep Harley alive? Hmm. It's a complicated question and one that has to take into account everything from the old school bikers who pine for Harley's glory days, the market competition for, well, the last mile, and the proliferation of new electric vehicles. It's so fraught that Forbes spent about 1,000 words discussing it. The article in question begins by saying the move into electric bicycles will certainly cause more feral brows and some harsh language from the Harley faithful. But the thing is, Anyone paying attention to Harley has known e-bikes were coming down the pipeline. We just didn't know what they would look like. A year ago, when the brand announced that the Livewire would launch in 2019, they also said a broader range of electric models were on the way. And that announcement including concept sketches that look more like bicycles than motorcycles, albeit heftier than the ones in the new photo. So, what do we know about the e-bicycles that are supposedly coming soon? All the company is saying at this point is what's on its website. Harley-Davidson's first electric pedal assist bicycles are light, fast, and easy for anyone to ride. Designed to shine in urban environments, this all-new bicycle line is just one example of Harley-Davidson's More Roads initiative is actively working to inspire a new generation of two-wheeled riders around the world. In other words, 
They're keeping tight-lipped until these are closer to production. What? What? Expect more details sooner rather than later. While other vehicle manufacturers are making general claims about speeding up electrification, Harley already has a proven track record. Moving up the live wire to 2019 after initially setting a release date of 2021. While it's easy to uh, goff when confronted with light, fast, and easy electric bicycles from the Harley, the company is one of the few that seems to be smartly and successfully navigating the minefield of EVs. They're working on vehicles for everyone, including its diehard fans, electric motorcycles that are cheaper than the live wire are on the way. And new generations that have never even considered getting a motorcycle license. And these new e-bicycles look to be just one more stepping stone to their comeback. You know what? I'm huge in uh, bikes, mountain biking, and all that stuff. But I wouldn't pay what they're asking for those e-bikes. Katie DeLong, Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Rally, a five-day celebration of all things Harley-Davidson was in full swing Saturday, August 31st, taking place at four locations, featuring music, food, custom bike shows, and demo rides. Harley-Davidson officials said everything was going as planned. This is happening right now, folks. Quote, fantastic turnout, said Tim McCormick with Harley-Davidson. The weather has been very, very good to us. Mother Nature has been kind. I think everybody has been having a good time rolling on down to the museum campus and checking out all the acres of activities we have here. They have a bunch of ice cream stands. I don't know. The HD Museum where Harley-Davidson history and custom culture come to life served as the central rally point during the rally celebration. If you went to this, let me know, man. Write in. Let me get uh, your thoughts. By Richard Wood. For many, Father's Day symbolizes a time for paternal love, admiration, and gentle memories. But 35 years ago in southwestern Sydney, the day became forever tarnished with death and bikey gang terror when the Milpera Massacre erupted. On Father's Day, September 2nd in 1984, the Banditos and the Comancheros went to war in the car park of the Viking Tavern at Milpera. An innocent 15-year-old girl was killed along with six bikies, while a further 21 bikies were badly injured. The battle took place amid a group of innocent bystanders who were enjoying a day out as families at a motorcycle swap meet in the Cameron car park. The Comancheros suffered the heaviest casualties, losing four members while the Banditos lost two of their brothers. Dozens more were injured, including the Comancheros founder and leader, William Jock Ross. Ross has long maintained his gang did not start the fight. A group of Comancheros 
including Ross, arrived armed with firearms and other weapons. And when about 30 banditos arrived in the car park, the outnumbered Comancheros were quick to draw. Witnesses Linda Monin said it was absolute chaos. Amid the gunfire, 15-year-old Leanne Walters was shot dead by a Rossi 357 Magnum rifle. The massacre enthralled the nation and triggered a massive police investigation that culminated in about 31 people being tried for murder. Nine men were convicted of the seven murders and 21 men convicted of seven counts of manslaughter. But the Banditos president, Anthony Mark Snotty Spencer, did not face the court, having taken his own life while in prison. The men convicted of murder received prison sentences ranging from life to 18 years. Among those found guilty of murder were eight Comancheros, including Ross, and one bandito, Tony Lard Melville. However, the murder convictions were later overturned to manslaughter on appeal. I feel for that 15-year-old girl's family. The bikies had their sentences drastically reduced, including Ross. He is today living a quiet life in NSW, but in a 60 Minutes interview earlier this year, briefly reflected on the bloody events 35 years ago. It's a shame it happened. That's all. It's a shame it happened, he say. Well, yeah, stop fighting in public. I lost a lot of good friends. That's it. That's what they had to say on this whole event. The Milpera Massacre. 35 years ago. Anyway, let's go to an event here. We got A-Bait of Michigan, Region 15, prevents bowling for motorcyclist rights. If you guys ain't a part of A-Bait, why not? Go get it. Uh, we got $20 per bowler, $10 per Monday bowler, and let's see, or mom bowler, or $35 per couple. Food's going to be provided, awards, raffle prizes, registration at 6.30 p.m., bowling starts at 7.30, Biddle Bowl, 7.08, Biddle, Y and Dati, Michigan. Why you guys got all these messed up names up there, hot rod and all ya? <laughs> anyway, for more information, call Bert at 313-680-4080. But back to the Harley e-bikes, man. That's a story that really got me because everybody knows I'm huge in the mountain bikes. I'm huge in the e-bikes, all that type of stuff. Now, a good e-bike starts you out at about $6.99. You'd go to Amazon or any of that kind of stuff. But Harley's talking in the thousands, man. Are you kidding me? Your live wire's already overpriced. You know, e-bikers and, you know, guys who use bikes as fitness, like I do, uh, you know, I ride a bike every morning and stuff like that, are not going to spend a couple thousand dollars on e-bikes. You know, maybe 1500 at the most, but you guys, as always, you guys are going over the, f the hill on your stuff, man. 
you guys got to get a better price point because I don't know if you notice, but a lot of the younger generation or those that are in e-bikes don't care if the e-bike has Harley Davidson on it, okay? And I don't even think you'll ever bypass Trex. Just don't. So, just my opinion. If you're looking for up-to-date biker news, then Insane Throttle is the place to be! Daily editorials and news that is dedicated to the biker scene. Come on over and join the number one internet biker news site at HarleyLiberty.com. Hi, this is John with Exit 27, and you're listening to Hollywood on Motorcycle Madhouse. Want to hear more of our music? Head on over to Spotify or iTunes. The number one internet biker radio show is now available on Spotify and all major platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to become a subscriber on any one of these platforms so you can be notified right away when our weekly episode is uploaded so you never miss an episode. Let's go. 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 And welcome back. Sacramento. In the summer of 2016, Ronald D. Yandel was on top of the world as a man doomed to spend the rest of his days in a prison cell. Prison officials citing Yadel's membership in the AB or the brand had kept him locked away in a modern day dungeon. He had spent 15 years in solitary confinement at California's most notorious and secure prison Pelican Bay. Holy cow. 15 in the shoe? But in 2015, after statewide hunger strikes and lawsuits challenging the use of solitary confinement, Yandel was transferred to the new Folsom prison in Sacramento. For the first time this century, he had a cellmate, re relatively easy access to other inmates, and... He managed to get something else, a contraband cell phone, and with it, the ability to reach like-minded gangsters throughout California. What followed, according to federal prosecutors, was an attempted takeover of the state prison system's other predominantly white gangs, which has resulted in one of the biggest organized crime takedowns in California. Now, Yandel and 15 other accused AB members and associates are fighting federal charges alleging five murders, four murder plots, prison drug trafficking, and others. Other than Yandel, 57, the defendants in Danny Troxell, 66, Travis Burhop, 47, Brett Two Scoops Daniel, Donald Popeye Manza, Pat, Big Pat Brady, Jason Corbett, Matthew Cycle Hall, Samuel Keenan, Michael Mosca Torres, Gianna Queensberry, Kevin McNamara, Kristen DeMar, Justin Rune Petty, and Kathleen Nolan. Prosecutors allege Jindel and Traxel are part of the three-man commission that runs the California wing of the gang. The case is moving forward, I'll bet slowly. On Wednesday, about a dozen of the defendants appeared in federal court as a group for the first time. They were shackled, 
chained to their desk, and surrounded by a team of armed U.S. Marshals who escorted them in and out of the courtroom. Wednesday's hearing lasted about a half hour, and each defense attorney was given an opportunity to bring up issues or announce what motions they plan to file. Torres, an alleged Mexican Mafia member accused of heroin trafficking, successfully moved to become his own attorney, which will give him increased access to case evidence. Judge Kimberly Muller granted Torres an attorney to use as an advisor while he represents himself. Man, this is shaping up to be a big one, man, with this case. Big Rico. Corbett's attorney, meanwhile, put forth an odd motion that his client be provided with special shoes to accommodate his very unique foot, he says. That is uh, odd. Explaining that Corbett has battled gout and other problems stemming from motorcycle injuries since his teen years. As a detailed description of Corbett's foot was put onto the record, Yandel leaned over and began hysterically laughing, while the armed guards near him shifted nervously. The group is due back in court on October 23rd in front of Mueller, who said she expects to hear a number of defense motions on that date. The defendants have all waived their right to a speedy trial, ensuring the early stages of the case will last for months. The defendants have pleaded not guilty with two notable exceptions. Nolan and Hall have not yet been caught, and authorities do not know where they are. Build an army! The charges against the group are largely built on a multi-week wiretap of Yandel's contraband phone, in which he allegedly discussed previous murders that were committed on behalf of the AB. Coordinated drug deals and counseled, mentored, cajoled, berated, and plotted to kill other members of the gang, according to prosecutors. Prosecutors say Yandel spoke of wanting to build an army within California prisons and forming a, quote, new AB, composed entirely of hardened killers with plans to force rival white gangs across the state to bend the knee. He is accused of recruiting members of Public Enemy Number 1, or Penny, a white supremacist gang whose founder was stabbed to death last year on a prison yard controlled by the AB. He allegedly told others he learned that four other white supremacist prison gangs, the United Society of Aryan Skinheads, Wolfpack, Golden State Skins, and America Front had all recently formed a secret alliance against the AB. 
Yeah, the AB hardcore, man. They ain't going to say. The 143-page complaint unsealed in June alleges that Yundel used the prospect of Aryan Brotherhood membership or increased status in the gang to convince others to commit murders. The four would-be murder victims were rescued and moved into protective custody thanks to the wiretap. This, again, according to prosecutors. The complaint has given the public a rare look into the AB, also known as the brand. They're pretty hardcore in the Cali, Texas, and uh, the federal. The brand considered one of the nation's most dangerous and secretive prison gangs. It started in California prisons in the 1960s and basically functions as a large, violent drug trafficking organization. It has an alliance with the Mexican Mafia and is a rival of various African-American gangs, though all but one of the murder conspiracies alleged in the case are the result of internal politics. According to prosecutors, members are not allowed to leave the gang and cooperation with law enforcement is one of several slights punishable by death. Quote, AB members are required when ordered to kill without hesitation. The criminal complaint says members who do not fulfill their obligation to the AB are subject to murder. AB members are trained to commit brutal murders that will dissuade others from crossing the gang. According, again, to prosecutors, the prison murders outlined in court records are in line with this description. Quote, I hit him so hard, went back and into his chest, and adrenaline-added Brett Daniel allegedly told a prison guard, moments after using a shank to murder Zachary Scott, 36, on a yard in Salinas Valley State Prison. Daniel also allegedly told the guard he was targeting another inmate who had recently been moved to protective custody. No joke in the prison system, man. As guards carted him off, Daniel allegedly yelled out that other white inmates had two weeks to get off. Quote, this week, PC yard, or else another AB sanctioned hit would take place. Another murder victim, Hugo Yogi Pinnell, was stabbed to death, allegedly by AB associates Jason Beaver Weaver and Wayland Pitchford on a Folsom yard in 2015. Pinnell was in the Black Gorilla family, one of the state's most dominant African-American prison gangs and was one of the so-called San Quentin Six, an infamous group said to be behind, be behind a 71 riot and escape attempt at San Quentin, which left six dead. Pinnell was targeted, according to the criminal complaint, because he frequently aired virtually racist opinions and provocative statements at white inmates. 
which made him a high-priority target for the AB. The complaint says that Weaver began the attack, stabbing Pinnell and ignoring smoke grenades fired by guards to subdue him, and that after a few seconds, Pitchford joined in. Pinnell was stabbed 20 times. You guys getting a hint about prison yet? The attack kicked off a riot between black and white inmates on the Folsom Yard, which lasted roughly 20 minutes, according to the complaint. A year later, Yandel allegedly discussed the murder in a 20-minute call with AB member Pat Brady, an inmate at High Desert State Prison who also had a cell phone, according to prosecutors. In the call, Yandel admitted to Brady that the AB had Beaver kill that N, Yogi, and that AB members had been trying to kill him for years, according to the complaint. Beaver, Yandel allegedly said, quote, earned his rock, meaning he earned a shamrock tattoo signifying Aryan Brotherhood membership by committing the deed. Bad. I feel bang, Fairbanks, when the dust cleared on the criminal charges against them, 20 members of the Kingsman Motorcycle Club stood accused of wrongdoing. On Tuesday, the last of those Kingsmen were sentenced, ending a murder and conspiracy case that for years captured the public's attention. Timothy Innix. Second in charge of the organization was sentenced to 20 years in prison for his role in the killing of fellow Kingsman Daniel DJ and Paul Maui. The fact is, and this is a quote, you were the leader of a violent motorcycle gang, end quote, U.S. District Judge Elizabeth A. Walford told Enix. <sighs> Reality is you were involved in organized crime and you were intimately involved in it. From the start, the prosecution's focus was on National President David Perk and Andre Jenkins, the Kingsman member who fired the gun that killed Maui and Shemesky. But during the trial... A three-month proceeding with over 60 witnesses. Holy cow. Many of them Kingsmen. Yeah, people were flipping again. Federal prosecutors also, also implicated uh, Inex in the murder scheme and its cover-up. From the start, Assistant U.S. Attorney Joseph M. Trippi said the murders were intended as a message to rivals within the club. Trippy said NX-60 was also part of the effort, led by Perk, to turn the club into a criminal organization, or as they say, 1% club. Now 68 Perk, a Lockford native, was sentenced to three consecutive life terms for his role in carrying out the double murder. Jenkins, the Kingsman who fired that gun that September morning in 2014 also was sentenced to three consecutive life terms. Jenkins is already serving life without parole because of a Ni uh, Niagara County conviction for the murders. 
Enix, who portrayed himself as the club's peacemaker during his trial, is expected to challenge his sentence. Quote, we believe there are solid issues for an appellate court to consider, said defense attorney Terrence M. Connors. We will appeal, and there is a window of hope. During his trial, Enix, like Perk and Jenkins, found himself confronting Kingsmen testifying about the killings and the feud that led to them. Several Kingsmen took the witness stand to talk about the near-deadly confrontation between Perk and Enix and Kingsman Philippe Caruso at the South Buffalo Clubhouse a month before the murders. So you got guys turning on each other, rats, yeah. During his testimony, Caruso said he was angry over the promotion of another Kingsman and came to the clubhouse with a Caltech rifle hidden in his pants. At some point, Caruso, with Molly and Szymanowski watching his back, confronted Perk and Enix. The confrontation ended peacefully that night, but Caruso testified that Perk later made it clear that he believed Maui was behind the incident. So they had an internal beef going on over power, not using bylaws, the boat, whatever. In the end, the jury found Perk and Jenkins guilty of murder and gun possession in furtherance of the racketeering conspiracy and using the South Buffalo Clubhouse for drug dealing as part of that conspiracy. So they're crapping in their backyard too. Go figure. Jenkins also was convicted of a weapons charge for having a firearm while being a convicted felon. Stemming from convictions in South Dakota in 1998 and 2010. They won't be seeing South Dakota anytime soon. Enix was found guilty of racketeering conspiracy. Investigated by the FBI and Homeland Security investigations, Enix was prosecuted by Trippy and assistant U.S. attorneys Brendan Team Colleen and Mary Ann Shelby. So yeah, what a drama that was. We reported on it a lot when it was going on. It is finally over. New Center One staff, Rapid City, South Dakota. Authorities say that several members of the Banditos Motorcycle Club were cited with violations after a large group of bikers were stopped in Rapid City. Man, everybody's been hearing about this one. The traffic stop was initiated on I or uh, I one ninety near Omaha Street. Law enforcement officers signaled for a few of the bikers to pull over after reports that they were driving erratically on the interstate near Rapid City. According to Brenda Medina with the RCPD, when you pull over one of the group, the rest tend to stop as well. 16 bikers pulled over in total. An unspecified number of them were uh, cited with movement violations and concealed carry violations. The RCP or RCPD says more officers were present during the stop due to the number of motorcycles involved. 
According to Medina, authorities are aware of a large banditos gathering occurring in the Black Hills and have a plan in place to ensure public safety. Let's go on to some events here, lighten up the mood. Uh, Kentucky Kickdown Motorcycle Festival in Louisville, Kentucky, September 20th through the 22nd. Go to uh, www.kentuckykickdown.com for more information. Looks like it's going to be a fun one. Then we have the Defenders Benefit Ride, September 21st, KSU at 11 a.m. Registration begins 9 a.m. Royal Range USA 7741 US 705 in Nashville. It says join us after the ride at Scoreboard 2408 Music Valley Drive in Nashville for live music, cold drinks, and fellowship. Shirts are $20 each. All proceeds from this event benefiting the children of fallen officer John Anderson. Your online radio, the new online radio that makes you happy. And welcome back. One of Australia's biggest bikey gangs has taken over the rival group, telling members they will be shot if they continue to wear their colors. The rebels made the threat to members of the Satan soldiers as they took over their clubhouses in Bendigo, Victoria, early this month. A source told the Herald Sun the outfit was given only a week to clear out the premises. The rebels just walked into their house and said, Hey, out. It's ours now. If you don't leave, you and your family will be shot, the source says. Satan's soldiers, previously linked to the Hells Angels, are one of the lower-profile gangs in the state with few publicized uh, incidences. A suspicious fire burned their clubhouse to the ground, which was only no man, that was bad, base of the rival banditos aligned Diablos in 2013. The rebels are understood to have absorbed as much as $600,000 in assets in the massive takeover. The new assets only add to the outfit's 2,000 member and 70 chapter strong base, placing the gang as one of the largest in Australia. The latest push from the Rebels is understood to be an attempt to flex its muscles at rival Banditos increase their presence in the area. The Banditos are one of the biggest outfits in Australia with chapters across numerous states. The Bikey Gang has a history steeped in violence including the notorious 84 Milpera Massacre in Sydney. A massive shootout between the Banditos and rival gang Comancheros led to the shooting death of a teenage girl and six bikey members. A total of 33 people were tried over the shooting and became one of the largest joint criminal trials in the history of NSW. That from Australia. By Jordan Febres, a former Hells Angel bikey has turned over a new leaf walking away from his old life and starting a fashion label. 
Ben Gapart admits he has lived and benefited from a life of crime, but wants to leave it behind and inspire other young people to do the same. Quote, we all done some bad things and I suppose it just follows us forever, Gephardt told Nine News. The former enforcer has been one of the most prominent figures of the Gold Coast underworld over the past two years, involved in numerous street brawls and public spats between rival gang members. He has also been prominent on social media boasting about his life of luxury to thousands of followers. I guess that's a big thing, uh, Instagram. But he says there's no happy ending in it. Quote, there's only two places you end up. That's in a jail or a grave. Gephardt insist he has left behind that life revealing the nine news he has started his own fashion label in an attempt to turn around his life it's called quote bg premium apparel a collaboration between gephardt and one of his best mate forrest gamble quote again i'm just a face i'm just the marketer you know call me the rolls royce gephardt said Gephardt said he had been wanting to launch the business for over two years in an effort to prevent young gangsters from a dangerous path he had walked before. It's been met with criticism from some of his former gang members. Yes, this is, when they're using gang, it ain't biker angle. It's just jealousy, mate. It's all jealousy. I don't talk about people like that. The way they talk about me. I'm flattered by it, Gephardt said. Gephardt said he wasn't forced out of the club due to his popular online profile. Instead, he chose to leave due to decisions made by the club. Well, a lot of them are still my good mates. At the time, there was a personal things going down in the club internally. I just didn't agree with it at the time, he said. There were a lot of people in the club I didn't like. The bad blood certainly remains, though, as Gephardt's former home in Carrera was peppered with bullets up to 15 times over the past two weeks. I don't care. There's no bullets coming at me for now. I should be okay, he said. His focus is now on the future and improving life for those around him. This is the new Ben Gephardt, and I'm here to stay. I'm not going anywhere. For more information, check out BG Premium Apparel on Instagram. They use that a lot over in Oz. Ed Kamadi, Reno Gazette Journal. Las Vegas and what authorities are calling a quote major investigative takedown 23 people tied to the Aryan Warriors a violent white supremacist gang operating under orders trickling from leaders inside Nevada prisons were indicted on more than 150 charges including drug trafficking racketeering and murder an indictment unsealed last week charges two men in the 2016 murder of Andrew Ryan Thurgood 
at High Desert State Prison in Indian Springs. Anthony Williams, known as Muggsy, and Tariq Gorasanin, known as Torque, now stand charged with murder and conspiring to kill Thorngood. Thorngood, 26, was stabbed during a fight with two other inmates in a facility day room. He had been serving 12 to 34 months at prison following a conviction on a felony charge of attempted possession of a stolen vehicle. Another pair of men, Devon Campbell, known as Soup, and Christopher Assoff, known as Bullwinkle, stand charged with the murders two men earlier this year. Lazardo Contreras Verdon, 24, was found shot to death on a Las Vegas road, and Thomas Patrick Glenn, 49, was stabbed to death in a backyard tent. Hmm. A prison to street trickle down. The Aryan Warriors are organized as a paramilitary group with operatives in both the prison system and Las Vegas community. Orders the street-based members to commit the crimes the syndicate is known for trickle to the outside from imprisoned leaders behind bars, according to authorities. Unlike other white supremacist groups that are focused on spreading their ideologies, the Aaron Warriors are focused on drug trafficking, racketeering, and murder. According to the indictment, the white supremacist gang uses violence to obtain greater access to the illegal controlled substance market, prevent members or others from cooperating with law enforcement, traffic and or sell controlled substances, possess forgery laboratories, forge credit cards, forge currency in order to finance the Aryan Warriors or the white supremacist ideology. Organize, manage, and finance the Aryan Warriors criminal syndicate by instructing members to commit violence on behalf of the gang. At a press conference, members of DEA Los Angeles and the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department discussed additional details about what authorities dubbed a, quote, major investigative takedown. The investigation began in February. Quote, the mission of the joint operation was the disrupt and dismantle the Aryan Warriors. Violent impact in the Las Vegas Valley, said John Leone, captain of the Gang Vice Bureau in the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. The gang, Leon said, had been actively involved in acts including murder, robbery, battery with a deadly weapon, assault with a deadly weapon, fraud, identity theft, drug trafficking, and selling narcotics between California and Las Vegas. This gang is responsible for some of the worst crimes that have occurred in our community, he goes on to say. There is a distinct link between the leadership and the street soldiers of the documented Aryan warriors and directed for profit violence. The takedown later led to the arrest of the Aryan warriors' main leadership and dismantling of the gang's drug distribution networks, Leon said. On August 17th, federal and local law enforcement teams 
executed seven search warrants and arrested 10 suspects with ties to the Aryan warriors. Authorities seized seven guns, two bulletproof vests, one stolen trailer, three stolen motorcycles, four dismantled fraud labs, and 9700 in U.S. currency. Throughout the investigation, authorities seized or recovered more than 30 firearms, including rifles, shotguns, and handguns, many that were stolen. They also collected four pounds of meth, Leon said, and half a pound of heroin. Well, we have severely disrupted and dismantled the white supremacist criminal syndicate known as the Aryan Warriors, Leon said. Damn. Yeah, that's uh, the prison gang. That's prison life right there. So stay out of prison is what I say. Let's go on to some events here. Second annual Fallen Officer Ride honoring BOP Officer Jose Rivera. Officer Rivera was 22 years old. He was a four-year veteran of the Navy and completed two tours of active duty in Iraq. He began his career with the Federal Bureau of Prisons as a correctional officer on August 5, 2007, and less than one year later was killed in the line of duty. He is survived by his mother, two sisters, and brother. All proceeds will be going towards the Jose Rivera Memorial Park at USP Atwater, California, Please help us honor Jose Rivera and come out and ride with us. This is with the Punishers MC 2nd Annual Fallen Officers Ride. And it starts uh, September 14th. Uh, let's see here. Time arrive at 8.30. KSU at 9.30. 205 Harbor Boulevard, San Pedro, California. Ride starts at the Battleship, Iowa and ends at 520 West Willow Street, Long Beach, California. There will be a barbecue to follow the ride. Los Carneles, 12th Annual Biker Bash, October 26, 2019, 2 p.m. to 6 a.m. Come out and have a great time. No outside coolers, no attitudes. Hector Clubhouse, 38. 07 North Stanton Ave in Odessa, Texas. Must be 21 to enter the premises. Also, if you have an event that you would like on the biker angle, shoot it to info at insanethrottlebikernews.com and we will get it up there. Don't matter the event, don't matter the clubs, just don't matter. Get the event out to us. Hi, I'm James Hollywood Machikari and my new book, The New Age of Biking and Brotherhood. In it, I address many issues facing the modern biker and motorcycle club member. The subjects covered are non-politically correct and many issues are exposed that will rock the biker scene. I will expose some of those people who claim to be biker experts and others I expose for what they are doing to the scene for personal gain. This book is sure to light the internet ablaze. The exact reason why I chose to write this book in the first place. Hopefully in some small way this book will help people make some changes to the club scene before it's too late. Hot shit. Hot shit. Here it comes. Are we ready? Am. 
Potomac, Oakland. Willie Harper still remembers the first time he saw the East Bay Dragons. Then an emerging motorcycle club rolled through the streets of West Oakland. It was around 1960, four dragons rode by matching a framed Harley-Davidson chopper, so-called because they had been stripped off of any unnecessary parts, brought down to the bare frame with only the tank headlight and motor. The bike's shiny chrome finish stood out against bright paint, each a different color. The men riding them had a polished boots and Levi jackets, blue jean pants, and matching striped motorcycle helmets, Harper said. Quote, they were all sharp, real clean looking, Harper remembers. Only white boys had those types of bikes back then and not in a motorcycle set. It was really powerful. The club, which this weekend celebrated its 60 year, has since become one of Oakland's most iconic cultural exports. One recognized around the world, it was the first all-black motorcycle club in the Bay Area and one of the first in the country, emerging at a time when a black man riding a motorcycle was seen by some as inflammatory. But the Dragons endured through six decades not because of some outlaw image, said Joel Lewis, a.k.a. Papa Joe Levingston, a founding member and brother to Toby Jean Levingston, the club's creator. It survived because of the deep roots the club has in the community. It's focus on family and the tight bonds of brotherhood. We're like family to each other, said Levingston, who is in his 70s. Rock on. When you get the patch, it means you're a real dragon. You're in a brotherhood for life. Levinston and his four brothers were born in Louisiana to a sharecropper father who made the migration west, along with thousands of other black American families, in the 1950s. At the time, West Oakland's 7th Street Corridor was still a bustling commercial strip dotted with jazz clubs and black-owned businesses buzzing with customers from Oakland's army base. East Oakland was full of families who worked in the nearby metal foundries and packing plants. And the Levinston family settled in Brookfield Village. A lot of history here. Though industrial jobs were plentiful, young black men could still quickly find themselves getting into trouble if they didn't stay busy, Harper said. And Toby Jean Levinston thought he and his brothers needed a hobby. Oakland was all rock and roll and chromed out cars at the time Toby Jean Levinston wrote in his memoir, Souls on Bikes, the East Bay Dragons MC and the Black Biker set. So he decided to start a car club and the Dragons were born. Joe Louis Levinston would later add East Bay to the name, creating the Green Dragon logo with red lettering instead atop a gold backdrop. A year later, they switched to motorcycles, which were cheaper, more accessible, and didn't draw as much attention from the cops. Toby Jean Levinston wrote, Dealers at the time wouldn't sell Harleys to black customers. Levinston wrote, so they would buy them used. They'd often find them in people's garages or under houses, Harper said. Oh yeah, that's a long time ago. Harper 
the third longest serving member of the Dragons, first showed up at the group's clubhouse, which was then across the street from a barbecue restaurant where the members used to hang with a Honda before being told to come back with a Harley. He did only to have several members drive him back home and dismantle the bike in his garage, telling him to come back again when he could put it together, he said. Harper was dismayed, he said, until Toby Gene Levinston showed up and told him to come by his garage where they would put it back together together. That was 1964, and Harper has been a member of the club since. It was in the way of building bikes together that the group fostered a sense of community, said Liam O'Donohue, a local historian and host of the podcast East Bay Yesterday. He interviewed two dragons for an episode in December called Respect a Patch, how Oakland's oldest black motorcycle club survived nearly 60 years. They literally built the community together one bike at a time, he said, and that's why they were so tight. It gave these guys a sense of accomplishment and something they could really bond over. Being a pillar of the community is inseparable from membership in the club, said Ray Nelson one of the club's youngest members who is also a third-generation cousin to the Livingstons. The club regularly participates in charity rides, holds block parties, and donates supplies to schools. It hosts annual turkey giveaways for Thanksgiving and adopts several families for Christmas, buying gifts and delivering them in person on Christmas Eve. This is awesome, the way a club should be. Nelson grew up idolizing the dragons, he said, watching them roll in mass to his grandmother's house, popping wheelies, and burning rubber down the street. But it wasn't just the bikes, he said. Toby Jean and Joe Louis Levingston both had jobs as well as cars and houses and families, he said. They took care of themselves and their families at the same time, Nelson said. In fact... Everyone in the club had a, had a job and skills they could bring to the table. It's why Nelson knows the club will endure for another 60 years. Quote, that's how this clubhouse got built and why it will stick around, he said. Everyone has something to offer. Rock on. A lot of good history right there. Congrats, East Bay. By Marissa Wenzik, a man described by authorities as a member of the Mexican Mafia and so-called shock caller for the Canta Rana street gang based in Santa Fe Springs and Whittier, has been convicted of murder and racketeering charges, federal prosecutors said. Jose Lonzo was found guilty of a dozen felony charges, including the murder of a rival member of the Mexican Mafia and several racketeering charges stemming from his involvement. In Canto Reyes, a violent criminal enterprise involved in murders, drug dealing, and money laundering, according to a new release from the U.S. Department of Justice. Loza, 40, is scheduled to be sentenced on December 16 and faces a mandatory sentence of life in federal prison as a result of the murder conviction alone, according to prosecutors. 
On April 19, 2016, he murdered Dominic Gonzalez, who was marked for death after being seen as encroaching upon the territories of other Mexican Mafia members, the release states. Gonzalez was shot six times at the restaurant in San Gabriel Valley community of Bassett, suffering gunshot wounds to the head and chest. The shooting left his bodyguard severely injured and wounded, and an innocent bystander at the restaurant who suffered six gunshot wounds to the abdomen, back, buttocks, and legs. An accomplice in the murder, 25-year-old Leonardo Antoloni of Whittier, pleaded guilty in July to felony charges, including conspiracy to commit murder and aid of racketeering. As part of a plea deal, he has agreed to receive between 33 years and 40 years in federal prison and will be sentenced on September 23rd. A high-ranking member of Canta Renas, Lazao, gave orders to other senior members of the Mexican Mafia and fellow longtime member of Canta Renas, David Galavadan. According to the federal authorities, Galavadan maintained control over the Canta Renas and several other gangs in the Whittier Santa Fe Springs area as well as Riverside, Stockton, receiving compensation through criminal activity, such as drug trafficking. He is currently serving life without the possibility of parole at Pelican Bay State Prison in Northern California. It's a hardcore joint. The convictions against Loza are the latest developments in a federal racketeering case known as Operation Frog Legs which is being led by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, 40 convictions have been made in the case so far. Loza members of the Mexican Mafia and other high-ranking associates of the prison gang have testified about the gang's existence, its criminal activity, and centers of power both inside and outside prison walls, something federal prosecutors believe has never happened before. Law enforcement officials have seized 51 firearms and executed several narcotics busts as part of the three-year investigation, including the seizure of nearly one pound of meth when a search warrant was served after Gonzalez's murder. A federal grand jury indictment featuring charges against 51 Cantarenas members and associates listed Loza as a lead defendant. In addition to murder, Loza was convicted of one count of conspiracy to violate the racketeering influence and corrupt organizations, or better known as RICO Act, four counts of engaging in violent crimes in aid of racketeering or Vicar, one count of conspiracy to distribute meth, one count of possession with intent to distribute meth, three counts of using a firearm during a crime of violence, one count of being a felon in possession of a firearm, and one count of money laundering conspiracy. Ouch, that's your gangster news. Matthew Claxton, the spokesman for BC's anti-gang police unit, said, It's concerning that the Hells Angels gang members appear to have been holding parties in Langley Township rec centers. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, CFSEU, has been running a social media campaign in recent months to warn people about the risk 
to the public posed by outlaw biker gangs such as the Hells Angels. Anyone could have been in danger of being a victim of an act of violence. An innocent victim, Winpenny, said. Uh, Winpenny's back. The Hells Angels are perpetrators and attractors of violence, she said. An internal township email provided to the Langley Advanced Times showed that the staff were concerned and uncomfortable. After an April 6th party held at George Preston Recreational Center, at which Hell's Angels members arrived. The email mentioned it was not the first time the group had turned up for a rental at the center. Chad Johnson Wilson, a member of the Hardside chapter of the Hell's Angels, was found dead under the Golden Ears Bridge in Maple Ridge last November. Wow, ouch. Minder Grello, another hardside chapter member, was murdered in broad daylight while he sat in a Starbucks drive-thru in South Surrey in August. According to a spokesperson, the township is developing a policy covering rentals. The uh, April 6th event, which involved alcohol and eight strippers, violated the rental agreement for the space. Can't have strippers, that sucks. I am in support of developing a policy to make sure our facilities are used appropriately by people who agree to abide by rules or calls to law enforcement should be made, said Township Councilor Margaret Cust. We have read about people being targeted and gunned down with alleged connections to organized crime in drive throughs and parking lots, Kirst said in an email to Langley Advanced Times. This can potentially put staff and recreation users participating in other programs at risk. Many establishment businesses, nonprofits, and government agencies deny entry to people wearing gang colors or logos, said Winpenny. If gang members turn up wearing colors such as the Hells Angels vest with their Death Head logo, Benny said employees can call the police in their jurisdiction to have gang members removed. Let's go on to some bents, man. We got some good ones here. Wounded Vet Run, Saturday, September 7th, advanced ticket purchases, www.cwvr.org. The ride and the ceremony details 20 a rider, 10 a passenger, 15 discount for pre-read. Registration opens at 9.30, Taduka Cavern, 12365, Pline Bluffs Way, Parker, Colorado. Kickstands up at 11 and at 2, Stagecoach Saloon at 2077 North 83, Franktown, Colorado. No bike, no problem, just join us at the Stagecoach at 2 p.m. All money raised for the ride and activities this year go directly to our honorees or, or the charity of their choosing. Come meet and shake hands with our honorees after the ride on or Saturday. Sorry, uh, SSG Joseph Fowler, SGT Nicole Gibson, SPC Aaron Bug, LCPL Jason Hallett are the honorees and thank you for your service. Motorcycle or uh, Insane Throttle Biker News always stands behind our servicemen. Shine Oktoberfest! Oh my god, Moonshine Motorcycles and Mayhem presents Rusty Nuts. 
October 18th through the 20th at 2019. Riding motorcycle and rat rod show, weekend camp and nightly campfire parties, prizes for the best moonshine, best chili, best campsite. For more information, shine tie Oberfest. Shine to Oberfest.com. Ah, and it is sponsored by the Throttle, or I can't even read that, so you guys are going to have to go to S-I-H-I-N-T-T-O-B-E-R-S-E-S-T.com, October 20, or October 18th through the 20th of this year. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle cracked wide open.